Welcome to the Yoga Addiction. If you're a yoga teacher or student who wants a deeper understanding of yoga with respect to science, health, and longevity, this podcast is for you. Every week, we'll dive deep into a topic to help you be a better yogi, teacher, and communicator. We want to give you a practical understanding of the current science related to yoga and help you create quality, safe, and inspired classes, whether they are for yourself at home or for your students. I'm Natalie Sanger. And I'm Sandy Hewitt. We look forward to you taking part in our conversations. Hey, Sandy. Hey, Nat. How's it going? Good. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. Um, I figured out something going on with my stomach, which makes me really happy. Um, I'm allergic to ragweed, and apparently safflower oil is related to la- ragweed. And so whenever I have it, I have this like horrible tummy ache that I couldn't figure out for the longest time. And I googled it last night, and I think that's what's happening. So I'm just going to avoid it. That's so good. Amazing. I wonder. So cool. I wonder how much like other products it's in because you eat out well not a ton but like you do snack out because I mean you're a yoga teacher it's kind of part of the mm. situation <laughs> most places they're like advertising for that stuff just be like no no I yeah 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 no like and ragweed allergies are all over the place so I wonder how many people have like low level you know stomach aches walking around in the world mm. because they've had something with safflower oil in it so I, I'm, I'm not sure but yeah yeah really interesting stick really to cool. olive like olive drizzle it on top so you're mm. you were drizzling on your salads well I made this like awesome salad dressing like with soy sauce and um ginger and garlic and all these other yummy things in it and I like doused my salad with it mm. um I, yeah with safflower oil and, and I doused my salads so that gave me like the like a, a terrible tummy ache like so bad I was like I need some Advil this is mm. really bad yeah and I was like oh what the hell's happening maybe I should take some probiotics so I threw some probiotics in there anyway <laughs> Might have, might help, but probably didn't. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, if it was like an allergic reaction to the plant, then yeah, no. no. <laughs> yeah, the little bugs are like trying to be like, how do we deal with the inflammation? Like, I don't, it's not my job, but anyways. Anyways. Um, well, I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. That's I'm happy. Great. Um, and I'm also excited about our interview today. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but First, we just want to remind people that if they are interested in any of the Wanderlust events this year for the whole year of 2019, we have a 10% off discount code. And you can find that on our website, natandsandyyoga.com. We'll also link to it in our show notes. So it's any any event and as many as you want. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, the other little affiliate link that we have up on our show notes as well as our website um, is the Rad Roller affiliate link. Now, if you don't do myofascial release, you are so behind in the game. And what the fuck? Get yourself some balls and <laughs> roll on them. <laughs> You're so behind. Oh, my so God. behind. Like, God. Um <laughs> I love them. They're great. I'm channeling my inner, I don't know, Taylor Swift or something. (laughs) Be be nice. Just, just. Sorry. I'm sorry. Lie down. Put some balls under you. It's going to be fine. All right. So Rad Roller makes like really good um, uh, textures of balls as well as like uh, pressures of balls um, as well as like shapes. So I know a ball is a ball is a ball, but no, there really aren't. They Mm -hmm. just make really good like specific shapes, tools for myofascial release. Um, and every single purchase comes with like a little how-to manual. 
Um, so if you didn't know what you were doing, you sort of have like a leg up there. Um, so yeah, get, get on that affiliate link, do some online shopping and check them out. Okay, sweet. Um, I'm gonna get my own balls cause Eric keeps stealing my balls. Damn it, Eric. Yeah. Stop stealing her balls. <laughs> balls. All right. Today we're going to talk a little bit about, well, a lot of bit about um, kind of the differences between yin yoga and restorative yoga. Because I mm. think we have a cool guest on here. I think a lot of people come out of trainings, even 200s, even like the 300 I did, but didn't touch a whole lot on the differences. Um, I have an awareness of it and I, I do them, but... Yeah, just to give students and teachers a more concrete understanding of differences and all the questions that we might have about that. So we're here with Hiro Zake Sigal Prince. Now, did I say it right? I don't you know. Or, totally yeah. did. Okay. <laughs> um, and if that's too long of a name for you guys to remember, Hiro Prince is also what he goes by. So as many last names as you want. <laughs> Or all of them. And so, yeah, Hiro is an expert in yin and restorative yoga, I would say. I mean, Hiro, you've taught all styles, of course. But you kind of niched down more. um, That's your your passion is uh, more of the restorative, I would say, right? Or or both equally? What do you you think? Well, you know, I mean, for me, I'm really a passionate person in anything that's therapeutic and that's gentle in the practice of yoga and stuff that's not asana driven um, because that's never been my calling to the practice. It's never been for the physical form. Um, So when I found restorative and yin yoga practices or even gentler forms of hatha, even if that meant more seated or standing um, based physical experiences, what I connected to was the energy and the intuitiveness um, the ability to really sink in and to be safe and in a space of non-performance. Mm, that's awesome. It's really important. Yeah, the non-performance aspect as well. Um, so just give us maybe like a brief five-minuter of your coming to yoga and your trainings and where you, how you got to where you are right now. Sure, absolutely. Uh, just give me one second here and then I can more effectively share that yeah no problem hero lives here in vancouver and um we met through one of the studios that we were both working at at the time um and he was like one of the only teachers to we were just at a little kind of like workshoppy meeting thing together and he was just like hi i'm hero and like everyone else kind of keeps to themselves and i don't know Aww. like i'm a little more like introverted too i'm not just going saying hi to everyone he's just like hey i haven't met you before <laughs> like oh <"Aww>, sweet <laughs> and that and you know and that makes a very good point i'm definitely um i'd say an ambivert which is some people don't understand what an ambivert is i am very extroverted by nature but if i'm not in the in the safety of an environment that i trust or feel comfortable in it's not the easiest for me just to walk up to someone and say hello um, which I think is also something that lends very nicely to that more introspective and quiet and internal kind of practice and observation of the body and the mind and the spirit and the energy um, with restorative and yin therapeutics. And when I met Matt, I just saw a really sincere, humble individual and I wanted to know who they were and kind of welcome them into the community and because I hadn't met them before. And that's kind of how I continued to connect with her. And we had some mutual um, education in in common. So that was an easy way to connect and then get to know each other beyond that. Um, And then naturally progress to where we are now, which has been a really great experience. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Of course. So, um, you guys so sweet. <laughs> so you're asking about kind of how things started. Um, okay, let's see if I can be concise. So here it goes. So I started getting into the awareness of health and li- lifestyle when I was just before I started to go through adolescence. And that was in the form, I guess, in a sense of a way through um, playing the video game Dance Dance Revolution, which everybody in Asia was very common with, but North America became quite um, popularized with in the mid-90s and definitely in the early uh, 2000s um, in video game arcades and eventually home video game console adaptations of rhythm-based movement through um, foot-eye coordination and directional movements of different choreography. So because I didn't have much rhythm and I didn't have much dancing capacity, somehow I managed to be interested in that and like the whole uh, flair and design of the game and all that. And so it went into me getting more advanced in it. And then it ended up up being my future tool for weight loss of about 45 to 50 pounds, um, which was basically at me as a five foot two um, individual and then going through major cardio interest and wanting to lose weight and not having the ability to lose weight successfully prior when I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, What stemmed that continuation of discipline to lose the weight and to change my diet and my nutrition and everything else before shooting up and going through adolescence as a teenager was the passing of my brother um, from stage four blood cancer. He had acute lymphocytic leukemia. And so when he passed uh, and when he was sick, I wanted to be able to help as much as I could, but our relationship was very strained and there was a lot of uh, sibling rivalry. And so there wasn't a lot of ability for me to be in his life when he was, uh, when he was battling cancer for the year and a half. So when he passed, uh, he was almost 17. And when I would have been three and a half years younger, so about 12 and a half, 13. Um, and so when that all happened, it really made me realize, okay, you know, I've stared at life in the face and literally have seen something taken away that is irreplaceable that I can never get back. Plus he was my only sibling. So I didn't have any other family members in that same bloodline to even mourn or to grieve with. And so when you have that pain response in the body, you know, there's what I've, what I've been told and it's been passed down to me, you have like seven seconds or a short window to decide, are you going to go into denial and neglect and go into negative patterning, or are you going to go into a space of change and moving forward, using it as a platform for you to be able to change your life and to be a positive influence and honor the legacy of the person that once was there. And so somehow at that age, I had that hypersensitivity to know that I'm going to be able to live my brother's life in a way that I can, despite the turmoil of our relationship and the the long-term effects it has had on my, my mind. So when that all happened and I lost the weight through running and through cardio-based exercise, it only started to progress into me seeking, one, an a different way to express in community. What happened to yoga is that I found in my gay youth group when I was 15 and I dropped out of school at that time to go and explore myself, 
not my sexuality in terms of who I was, but finding people that I knew who I already was and I could connect with more so. I landed in a yoga class where the volunteer at the time was a gay Jewish, like me, yoga teacher, and about at that time, around the same age I am now. And his name was Sean Helene, and he's a very established teacher in San Francisco through Yoga Tree and a couple other studios. So when I found that first class and was in a safe space, the way that I walked out was invaluable. And the next couple experiences led through playing uh, Wii Fit on my Nintendo in the comfort of my home with a balance board and some very crappy laid out postures that help aid in my running. And then when I finished that, I wanted to go and take a class. And so I took a few very awkward Semper Viva classes, which were terrible, not because of the studio, just based on how I felt when I was, you know, 16 and awkward as hell, didn't have any understanding of what I was doing. And then it led me into going to to Y Yoga um, in 2010 for a two-week promotion during the Olympics. And that's really when I started to find that connection and community and ultimately landing in my first restorative, my first yin, my first hatha, you know, any of what I call like the westernized branding marketed classes that most people would understand if you ask them if they've been to X in this X studio. Um and so I started out doing a lot of vinyasa yoga, a lot of flow, a lot of power, um, and equally therapeutic, active, restorative classes when I found those out on the schedule when they began to come on board pretty soon after I joined as a member. Um, and so I was very much on the opposite ends of the spectrum between doing like three or four power classes a day because I was young and able-bodied and didn't think much about it. And I loved the challenge of it. And that was, and I found the right teachers who motivated me to experience those things. So then I did that, but then I would also counteract it with a very therapeutic, uh, restorative, which had a lot of self myofascial release work, kinesiology work, massage, self massage, and, um, whole body work with active and passive therapeutic explorations. And that was the ticking point for me is realizing that's where I really wanted to teach. And that's what I wanted to share because the amount of healing it had on my mental health and severe anxiety, depression, and I still live with chronic anxiety, OCD, PTSD, to, even to today and always will. It was that therapeutic restorative practice where I could cry, fall asleep, move and feel completely safe in my own skin in a public space, which I never felt before. Wow. Holy cow, that was a really like deep dive. Yeah, I'm Sandy so Sandy doesn't know anything about you, so she's just like, What? Oh boundary into the realm of me. So here you go. No, but that was awesome. No, that was really I'm so sorry about the loss of your brother. That sounds really traumatizing and difficult. Um but yeah, it's super, there's something super duper empowering about owning the physical body, um, like you said, in a public space and feeling like you belong physically as well. And that sort of like leads to the feeling of belonging in a community way. Uh, so I totally, totally get that. Um, yeah, awesome. I think it's also amazing that you were here in Vancouver for that because thinking about that, like if I were your age and um, like I grew up in Campbell River, smaller town, I don't believe they had a yoga studio then. If they did, it was like super underground. Um, when I was that age, like I didn't have access to that. I didn't, I, if I would have 
gone through what you went through. Like I would have, yeah, just had the physical, like the gym running and kind of that experience of um, getting embodied to kind of feel what you're feeling. Um, but the actual yoga practice, I literally wouldn't have had access to. So I think it's such a wonderful thing that, I mean, people complain about teacher trainings and all these teachers getting cranked out, but like realistically, we're getting access, people, people access to yoga that wouldn't have it before. So, um, at that time, yeah, you are almost, well, I don't want to say lucky, but it, it was, it's a good thing that you're like in a bigger city to have access to, to yoga. That's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, for recognizing that and for bringing that to the attention as well in this discussion, because, um, as you were asking as well, like how did that all happen? You know, that one experience and that teacher who became my first teacher trainer and massage therapist and educator, um, they were the pinnacle to help me understand that side of the portion. Right. And so, um, when I look at, you know, where did it all start? It was started with, um, Chris Manansala, who's a local teacher here in the city and now teaches more privately and kind of off the radar, which is honestly usually where the best teachers sometimes end up or are only. Um, and a couple other teachers that got me into teaching and following them and learning from them because they were an authentic representation of what I saw for myself um, was the man who also is named Mike Nichols, who is, again, not teaching publicly and is very off radar, but at the time was very much in the public drop in studio community and primarily within vinyasa practice and yin and meditation. Um, so when I met him and I was completely freaked out by him and actually by any man in a public space, I was very uncomfortable with that sense of, um, masculine energy, no matter how sensitive or dominant it may have been. Um, but anyway, he would always smile at me and always say hello and always was very uh, relatable. And I knew that when I felt comfortable that I would approach him one day, one, I also had a crush on him, of course, any a man would have a crush on any male teacher that they found attractive. But aside the point, I knew that I was very much interested in who he was and nothing more. and just wanted to learn from him because I felt safe and that he could teach me a lot of how to be comfortable with my own skin as a man. Um, and that's when I started going to his classes and then my body started to fall apart from too much exertion and lack of body awareness and not having much of a connection to my mobility as a kid. Um, but then I wanted to learn and I wanted him to be my teacher trainer. So he didn't have a program at first, but then he created one and it got approved. And then he had me as one of his first alumni. So when I went through his training at that point, I wasn't interested in teaching anything other than restorative and therapeutics, but I knew I needed to have a 200 hour of some sort to actually legally teach. And I went into the industry knowing that I wanted this to be a community, like my ride or die teaching community mm-hmm. practice, like, everything. That's just how I wanted to be all or nothing. And it served its purpose because of the commitment and the devotion that I have put into it. So when you ask about education, I went through Chris's training first to make sure I was on on board. And I started teaching restorative classes on a classical realm um, under the table and at other spaces that allowed me to teach even before, excuse me, I was fully done with my 200 hour training. Um, cause I didn't really care about the legalities. I just wanted to teach and knew I was ready. Um, and of course at 19 or 20, you're kind of rambunctious and don't really give two shits. So I 
went to the restorative, the vinyasa 200 hour training, which had yin and meditation and pranayama, a full kind of discourse in that. And then I went into trauma sensitive training with Nicole Marcia at Find Balance Yoga through Yoga Outreach, because I was very much in that realm of wanting to teach trauma sensitivity, mental health, um, LGBTQ plus communities. Um, and then I started to get um, exposed to different forms of yoga, like kids yoga. So I did a quick three-day rainbow kids yoga training, which I haven't really applied much of, but it definitely has some tools that are quite of use. Um, and then I went into a 25-hour advanced anatomy training with Dr. Denise Burley, who teaches publicly and primarily, quote-unquote, the class by Karen Chimi um, at Turf Living, which is in West Forth and Kitts, but she's a chiropractor, a super mom, a vinyasa and yin yoga teacher, and she was the anatomy um, educator in my training with Mike. So I met her through that, and she was very helpful in developing my anatomical awareness from having zero. Um, from there, I ended up going into the 500-hour teacher training at the Vancouver School of Yoga which is where Nat and I had that commonality of education and um, faculty members. Um, it was very interesting at the time because I was really seeking the ability to further my education and I didn't feel I had enough because, you know, I wanted more of a therapeutic training background and less of a young nature background. And that ended up with me um, approaching the school at the time when they had just created their 300 hour with Christine Price Clark, who's also a very renowned international teacher and also home in Vancouver. Um, and I didn't know Christine super well at the time, but I knew that I wanted to learn from her and that I had enough knowledge of her that I wanted to learn. And so then it was really great when I was able to do her program and it was a smaller group. And this was also the first time she had ran the program which seems to be a trend in the trainings I've wound up in. And it was also very physical and I didn't necessarily see eye to eye with a lot of the things that were being offered. However, what I did come from it is that it actually got me out of my comfort zone so much. Um, and there were other components that were only making it harder outside of the training format that allowed me to get that education and learn the tools and get the actual um, skill sets, which would eventually to now have blossomed, which before and without that kind of education, I wouldn't have been able to have. So when I finished the 500 hour, I also did my yin training, though I had already been teaching yin for several years, which I'll get back to about very, very soon. Um, and I did a 70 hour yin training at Y yoga with the one and only L. Um, and she goes by L. Bryson now, and she's uh, an RMT and not teaching public yoga. But at the time, she was also a very powerful um, force and ally for me and friend who was able to help keep my education inspired. So that's when I started teaching more public yin classes along with uh, classic and therapeutic restorative. Um, and then in terms of the yoga side, I went through level one and two out of three, Phoenix Rising Yoga Therapy with another Vancouver therapist and yoga teacher, Shivani Ashley-Wells. Um, she's great. And with that said, I wanted to expand into teaching cycling classes for my cardio to come back because I lost that through yoga and my love of music and rhythm and choreography. 
and then getting into uh, fitness theory and did some other things that were more coaching oriented, Matt Pilates, hot training. And, you know, it's a, a very extensive list because that has also led me to do a second 200 hour training, some Ayurveda yoga training. And most recently now, um, I just completed a 20 hour yin, qigong and energy body meridian training with Eric Cusack, who's a phenomenal teacher and educator in Vancouver. And by May 5th, I'll have completed a 16 hour um, crystal singing bowl training with uh, Colin Hillstrom and then a 14 hour Jiki Den uh, uh, Shoden Reiki training with Meltem Oner Lagros, who is another yoga teacher here and uh, energy healer. And then in February next year for my birthday, I'll be going to Maui with one of my dear friends and colleagues, uh, Lucy St. John, um, to learn about myofascial yin training. So that's kind of a mouthful. But as far as this, the education and the commitment to therapeutic work and what that has led, it's also led me into being able to be a teacher trainer and create my own restorative teacher training program um, of 50 hours and start certifying and mentoring people, not just in any style of yoga, but in addition to that, the one that I really find connection to and that's undervalued and undereducated on, which is restorative. Holy cow. <laughs> he's like, wow, you have done he's like a, so much. He's in a really yeah, but like <laughs> times a million. How do you find the time and the money to do so much training? Well, that's a really great question. Um this is my full-time lifestyle and choice of profession. And yeah. I started young, um, I guess. Yeah, some, that's true. There are some people that do start younger. I get that. But in the mm. Western world and, you know, where I'm from, I was very much about the alternative, unconventional, millennial, you know, I can do what I want to do. I know that I have my mm. own path. I'm also an Aquarius. So for those that are astrologically minded, um, Aquarians never do what other people tell them to do and are these weird aliens from the future that are apparently messengers to share with this present time they're in to communicate to the others to wake the fuck up. So that's how I kind of interpreted that. And, you know, when you lose something that you can't get back, like my brother, you kind of say, fuck the rest. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'll figure out a way to make it happen, whether if it's a success or not, because I only got one life. Mm. And, you know, <laughs> as the millennials apparently say, you know, hashtag YOLO. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, so I was like, okay, you know what? If this is what I love to do. I know that I have basically fa almost failed every year of of the 12 grades of elementary and high school, if I found a passion that I love, which was not retail and fashion anymore, which is what I thought I'd go into, I was like, okay, fine. You know what? If I can find a commitment and a program that I can actually stick to and not drop out of and not quit, not with money, mm -hmm. and that allows that yeah. sense of instant gratification, but also equip me with the necessary tools and mastery to apply it, not just because I have a certification that says I could actually quote unquote, do it. No offense to some mm -hmm. teachers that are worldwide, but you know what I mean? It's like, you need to be embodied in the work you're sharing. And I share it from a lived experience, not from a textbook. Um, and when I found the right paths and I found the right supports, the financial part, I was able to be supported by both uh, f from family, but also from my own relationships with people and them wanting to 
understand that here's my situation. This is what I want to share. And in a sense, even though, yes, it's become a billion dollar business, you know, I'm really grateful that I've had some opportunities to to give back and educate without it necessarily mm-hmm. being um, always based on the affordability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So what I've been able to do with that is to volunteer and to give back, you know, hundreds of hours of my time to other communities and other um, marginalized populations and groups that really allow for um, that support to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So what's your what's your teaching look like these days? Like, do you teach public classes in studios? Do you teach privates? You teach, like you said, you teach at um, marginalized groups. So do you go into shelters or uh, support groups um, and offer your services there? What's it look like? So what I was doing primarily, um, and you're right, I did mention marginalized groups. Um, I didn't really have much of an ability or. I honestly am not afraid to admit the the confidence, I guess, to go into marginalized groups and teach them. But what I did do is I started to focus on just public classes primarily, which is what the bulk of my work has been. And I was teaching in studios very much up until about a month and a half ago. Um, and I actually stepped away from teaching in the studio circuit um, of any format for many reasons. Um, but when I was teaching in public formats, I was teaching at gyms, at country clubs, at uh, public studios, both corporate, big box, multi-location, uh, small boutique, whether they are established or independent startups, and some of them didn't last for the length that they were intending to. Um, mm. <clears throat> excuse me. I also have had the ability to recently assist in a 200 hour teacher training and about 175 hours worth of the training I was there and more, and, wow. which was very experiential and uh, educational. And then I've also yeah. had the ability to take on other students and fellow teachers and provide mentorship and peer development. Um, and then it's turned into me creating my own education platform to um, offer restorative teacher trainings and spin and yoga mentorship programming um, for other teachers, which I'm just really publicizing now. So that, like anything, oh, that's awesome. time to promote and to grow. But mm-hmm. I would say primarily studio teaching with a few workshops thrown in and then trying to build pioneer kind of business to business, um, kind of customized experiences, I suppose, whether if it's based on a product or an experience in someone else's store business that some people might do, but just from a lens that maybe people haven't done it before. Yeah. So yeah, definitely focusing on inclusivity of the LGBTQ population and particularly um, mental health and sexuality and gender. And because I am a man and haven't that kind of unconventional uh, gay perspective with how I've lived my life, unlike some other people may. Um, I really try to focus on that alternative uh, queer scope of making a space for men where they can find themselves in their own true identity, which is the name of my brand and why I, I have that as the name of it, is to help um, in the therapeutic lens and through restorative yin and gentle yoga practices and movement um, that would be my goal eventually is to really build up that community of, of men 
in those scopes of mental health and sexuality and uh, self-exploration. Okay. That's pretty awesome. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I know you're I kind of more familiar with your resume and always been impressed by all that you do. And you seem to kind of like always be somewhere teaching yoga. <laughs> like I see on Facebook, like, I'm in someone's store doing yoga. I'm like, that's so awesome. Um, but I wanted to ask you specifically now, so let's go over to you teaching these courses, trainings, essentially, you're teaching restorative trainings for people. Um, and the way you've broken it down, like I have a couple questions because you have, it's a 50 hour training and it's broken into two segments, um, the traditions of restorative yoga and then the other one, so it's 25 hours and then the other one's therapeutics of restorative, I believe. That's right. And when I, when I looked at this, I was, um, not confused, but I was, well, just confronted with my own ignorance, I guess. I'm like, what is, what are the traditions? Like how I think of restorative or have thought of that as a little more like new age yoga. I like as, as much as like the Hatha and everything that we do practice and the vinyasa that we practice in um, studios compare when I think traditions, I'm like thinking of like things that are like hundreds and thousands of years old. So like how far back does the tradition of restorative yoga go? Or like, is there, is there a start to it? Cause I always think of it like way more sciencey really. Like I'm really like, this is a practice um, that we're using for the nervous system. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that traditions. Like what is that? And if you could speak about that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, more than happy to. So my understanding of the restorative practice, um, it's based on Iyengar um, lineage. And because of what Iyengar, uh, for those listening to this, uh, if they're in the yoga culture, will understand the um, awareness of alignment and heavy usage of props and isolation of the body in a specific way for it to uh, discover its own healing and recovery and all those things. Um, so the person that really is mm, the history of Western yoga uh, for restorative and also from in setting in uh, Pune, India, her name is Judith Hansen Lasseter. And the reason why she's been very prolific is that she herself is a teacher and has been able to provide education and build a platform that she refers to as relax and renew. Uh, which is also one of the names of her best-selling books that you can find anywhere online or in, in your bookstores. Um, and as Nat, you were saying, it talks about how she studied in the Iyengar Institute in Pune, India, and how in her time there, she really connected to the portion of the teachings of Iyengar when she was taught these longer-held postures, which were very supported and help to align the body in a way where it felt the ability to discover the nervous system in the parasympathetic state, but also in the natural relaxation response, which is the bedrock, in my opinion, of what we are trying to provide the people in restorative yoga to experience. Okay, perfect. That was really clear. Thank you. No worries. And then I guess like, well, I probably should have questioned this first, like almost kind of backtracking, but I guess maybe a brief description for those who are less familiar in yin and, and restorative, like a comparison of those. What are what are the main differences there? Okay. So this is probably one of my favorite discussions and I'm glad we're 
kind of de-spelling or uh, demystifying what people think yin restorative is. So if you're a hatha, like a yang hatha yogi or a vinyasa diehard of any kind of vinyasa lineage, listen up because you're going to need to know what this stuff is and it's going to help you. So just listen to it and much love. So Soak it in. Yes. (laughs) Soak it in. (laughs) So anyways, um, okay. Restorative and yin. Some people will have differences of opinion that are restorative or yin or both certified or students. So that's totally cool. I love that. This is my interpretation of it and how I've grown to educate and to love it. Um, Restorative yoga has two different forms, which is classic restorative yoga, which is what most people know it to be. And also what has been taught and educated and certified, especially by Judith Lasseter. Um, And then there's therapeutic restorative which is a combination of how I was taught by my teacher, Chris, which focuses on three main stages, one being the physical body, second being the mind, and third being more the traditional classic restorative, which we look at as the heart. So I'll leave it at that and come back to that. Whereas yin yoga is created by um, a few different specific people, including Pauli Zink and Bernie Clark and Sarah Powers, both located in North America. Um, and the differences on the actual, like Cole's notes, bullet point form, yin focuses on stressing the connective tissues and the fascial lines of the body, and therefore the meridian lines of the body, if we look at traditional Chinese medicine, um, so the organs, and focuses on holding um, the asana poses for 3, 5, 10, sometimes 15 or 20 minutes, depending on what and how it is being um, supported and taught by. There's only about, traditionally about 26 to 30 yin poses, depending on how people classify them as well. And it gets into the science and the nerdiness of what tension and compression is within connective tissues, bones, and joints to make sure that your skeletal variations and ranges of motion fit the ability to sit into a posture. And it's a very meditative practice because yin is not necessarily a comforting practice, but it is there to help you discover the depths of who you are and the body that you have and how to accept what your limitations are and playing safely within them. That's kind of how I would give a brief paragraph about yin. Um, and restorative is all about, on the traditional side of restorative, it's all about being fully supported and taking away any sense of stress, strain, or pulling or traction in that way from the body itself. And I, I've read this in uh, Judith Lasseter's book, And I love how she says this, you know, restorative yoga is the practice of pratyahara. Oh, nice. Withdrawal of senses. That's right. And restorative is about removing our senses to the point where we can just float on a cloud. And that cloud is using extreme amounts if we can, if we have the supplies, at least one bolster with blankets, blocks, straps, sandbags, weight, weighted balls, anything we have, eye pillows to help coax the nervous system in a way so it can completely neutralize. 
and the length of the poses we hold in restorative, they have to be a minimum of 10 to 15 and ideally 20 minutes if we can to allow the nervous system to enter the parasympathetic state, the natural relaxation response, which is also connected to the human growth hormone. And that's what elicits the ability for the body to heal and to release those chemicals and ultimately that nourishment for us to recover and to heal our brain, our spine. And the practice of traditional restorative yoga is specifically, even though all yoga is based on the practice of moving and and manipulating our spine in every way to rinse the nervous system, the restorative practice is very much focused on the directions of flexion, extension, axial rotation, and inversion. Inversion meaning passive and in a way where the legs are above the torso and the head's below the heart. And so when you do a classic restorative practice, you need a good, ideally 75, 90 minimum minutes because you want to have minimum uh, five poses, forward bend, back bend, twist, twist, and you can make your Shavasana an inversion or you would have then six that you want to have an opening meditation, even if it's in a, a posture that you're starting with, you want to guide people through meditation, pranayama techniques that supply and support the restorative nature of the practice and therefore mm-hmm. provide the entire experience in a way that is very different from yin because yin sometimes can pull you out of the body and into the mind because you have to be aware of everything happening because you want to be sure that you don't injure or go too far into your edge, which then can cause injury or prolonged recovery. Mm. So in, in some ways you could say that, especially how you put it, that um, restorative is about pratyahara, about withdrawal of senses floating up on that cloud nine, whereas yin is maybe more of that awareness, mindfulness, meditation, maybe meditation, but again, some people would argue that the definition of it, um, going back to the mindfulness of staying within the senses, within the body, because you are putting, you are purposefully, purposefully, sorry, purposefully putting a stress on your body in order to stimulate connective tissue, um, healing. Um, is that, am I summarizing it kind of? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I mean, there's yeah. so many different components, but on the physical realm and a little bit on the, on the energy body realm, that's one of the main things I would say. Some people would also mm-hmm. say that I look at yin and I have had discussions with teachers where they disagree with me and I totally understand and, and agree with the other side of it. Yin is not, yin you can technically practice without the need of a prop. Like you technically, we don't oh. need to have props in yin, but they are highly encouraged, but for different reasons. And this is where people get mm-hmm. confused because people start to blend or go to yin classes by teachers and the teacher teaches it in a more supported way. Um, so people think that yin is restorative or restorative as yin, but they're completely different in the intentions of what the practices provide the body on all planes of its own being. Additionally, yeah. um, the restorative practice is all about the nervous system and doing less when it comes to traditional classic restorative and yin. Yes. You can argue yin is about doing less as well, but with propping comes to mind, propping and restorative is there to nullify, to take away the help and the Mm -hmm. other parts that we don't get yin. The props are there to either meet the body if it does have an injury or an ailment. So it's actually, helping to access the targeted intention. So that's where a prop comes in. 
and also assess people's ranges of motion or skeletal variation to bring the floor up to them, but not to take away sensation, to help them feel the Mm -hmm. sensation. And so that's where people think, oh, you know, like, great, you teach restorative, cool, is it yin? Or you teach yin. (laughs) No, why titles and labels are something that I very much kind of cringe over and therefore I call it gentle and therapeutic yoga. And then Mm. therefore I don't have to be so caught up in titles because I have the knowledge of those practices and intentionally know what I'm asking someone to go into. Yeah, I have uh, totally done the yin classes wrong. I just, I propped so much that I didn't feel a thing and basically floated away. I've done it wrong. I'm so sorry. Oh, you've you've taught them that way? (laughs) No, no, no. I don't teach it. I just like go and I do them. But I, I, because I don't teach them. So I don't, I don't like know too much about, I think I know in theory, but then in practice, I'm just like, I just want to lay and you know, float away. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, yeah, you're not doing it wrong then. Like if you walk into a class, like you can walk into a power class and lie in the back and do Shavasana if you really want to. <laughs> Whatever, man. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think I like, I, I well, just the whole thing about Pratyahara and mindfulness like has clarified it a little bit to me. I think with Yin, the intention is for me to stay there. Is that right? You the know? intention like, for yeah. sure is to go into that intelligent edge where you are able to yeah. be safe without injuring yourself, but also go into yeah. the depths that maybe you might not feel as comfortable going yeah. into. And I totally haven't. I just like, I propped myself so much that I didn't feel anything and I, I just like floated away. So I, I restorativized the yin classes that I've been to. Yeah, oh, that's, <laughs> but San- that's fine. I teach very restorative yin because I'm like, <laughs> fuck this. I don't want to, you know. <laughs> what's happening here i'm gonna have them relax and chill and make my job easier and also they needed more than yin so let's give them that uh, yeah no i do like that you said that okay good because i enjoy a blend as well um and i'm okay. like definitely don't like titles of yoga classes also um <laughs> i mean like the basics like vinyasa yes okay i know what's happening there um hatha Hatha even, like, I don't know, a lot of people flow in Hatha, and I like to put in a little yeah. bit of flowy stuff. That Hatha's one is a big word. Like, real, yeah, it's... But, but, oh, fox tape, people. You need to know your education and what the hell it is. <laughs> I know, well, it's like you go to a studio, and then they tell you something different, so it's the word just means nothing then. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. always, like... And then I've gone to studios where it's, like, um, Hatha flow hatha vinyasa flow slow mm-hmm. hatha flow gentle hatha <laughs> flow vinyasa and i'm just like what is happening <laughs> like i have no idea this is like any teacher can come in and just teach whatever the fuck they want basically right anyway oh my god it's like a whole another situation but i do like that you're like hey this is what i'm teaching i know mm-hmm. what my students need like you can tell if you have an athletic body what they're needing you can tell if you have like a stressed a stressed out mom like what she's needing like you're you're mm-hmm. going there and like Sandy in your body, you probably don't need yin. Like you don't need to sit into your connective tissues. Yeah, like maybe that's I why honestly, I like don't. I don't feel good in yeah. most of the yin postures because I have good range of motion. And I and then there's like a mm. few sticky areas. Like put me in a in a like a supine side bend. Like um mm. yeah yeah. Put like me in that and yeah banana yeah. moon whatever you want to call it yeah. crescent moon lying down um. 
put me in that and like, yeah, technically I don't need to be propped. So I don't know if it's restorative, but I'm lying completely on the ground. Like that one's like, I don't know, is that yin or is that restorative? But I feel <laughs> good. Like my side body is tight and I can breathe and I can like totally yeah. go like la la land, but I can still like, yeah. feel the sensation. So I don't know what that yeah. one's classified as, but mm-hmm. yeah, like a lot of like sitting into my hips, like I actually, it's mm. like the last thing I want to do and uh Oh, me too. So it's like, yeah. yeah, more of that. Like I'm going to those classes more for the nervous system chill. And uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Now, one thing I do want to bring up, because I know that people ask about it and I see people teaching it and it makes me so passionate and so absolutely mortified is when people put the title warm or hot with yin. Oh, mm. discuss. Please go ahead. Yes. Yeah, go, go. <laughs> I will not not stand down on this studios and gyms that are offering heated classes keep that in the connect sorry keep that out of the connective tissues and in the muscle tissues please because you are only hurting people there so um, Mm. all these other spaces like oxygen yoga and other um, gyms and businesses that know people like being in the heat particularly if we live in more of a milder climate and especially with fall and winter seasons and stuff as well When we look at the actual system of fascia and connective tissue, the first thing that we know about it is that it's a cooling tissue. It is cool, not young, not hot. It is cool. And not cool like, hey, I'm trending. Cool. (laughs) Fascia is so trending right now. (laughs) Fascia is so viral right now. It is so hot. Yeah. Go ahead. So, you know, aside how fashionable fascia is, it's like, okay, you're asking someone to incur fascial stretch and relief, and yet you're saying that it's in a heated environment, which therefore puts you in the sympathetic nervous system, as well as puts you in the muscle tissue, which is a yang tissue. So these two components do not mix. If you're stretching in the heat, you are doing a yang natured practice because of the way that heat, no matter how calm you might elicit from being in a heated environment, and if you love the heat, you're still on the body end affecting the body in a way where it's not actually going into the depths of your ligaments, tendons, bones, and joints as you would in the fascial layers of the body. Mm. You know, that, that sort of echoes, uh, so I did Tom Meyer's fascia course online and he, I think he said something very, very similar that heat is reserved for like physical, vigorous, um, that system, uh, whereas the fascia, it, it's like, it's just not, it doesn't mix, you know, it doesn't make any sense to him to do long held yin stretches in a heated environment because that's not what the heat was there for anyway. Um, and the fascia wouldn't respond necessarily to it. So you're not, you're just like sort of, it's like a gimmicky advertising thingy, like for the people, like you said, that just love being in a heated environment. Um, and, but with no basis to it. Does it make sense? Completely. Because I even went to a couple hot yin classes and gritted my teeth. Just, I just want to be like, you know what? Okay. I can be a judgmental and critical about something, but if I haven't experienced it before, then I need to make sure that I can experience it. So I know what I'm feeling is being justified. So no matter, you can have the best yin teacher that is super educated and teaching a yin class as they would in regardless of temperature. But as far as the way that the body responds, if you're trying to incur the body into being in a uh, parasympathetic state, 
that is being in a cooling environment where the body can then go into that hibernative type of state like a bear would in the mountains over a season and where they feel cool. But when, if you think about like the, I, the metaphor of a bear, if they're coming out for hunting season for prey and they're running around in the heat and they're building energy, well, that's very young. There's nothing yin about that. There's nothing mm-hmm. and, and restful or recovering of that. So when you're asking mm-hmm. someone to go into a 40 degree room or even a 32 degree room with humidity and you're asking them to breathe deeply, you're asking them to sit with themselves, you're basically creating a time bomb for somebody to go off and then building patterns in them to not feel safe and to not feel comfortable when they present themselves in similar environments outside of that. As far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. like that's my opinion about that. And you're also causing damage because you're giving two different signals to your body and right. your body is confused. So what it ends up doing, in my opinion, it's like when you give your food, your body food that it can't digest and then it doesn't digest it, it just passes it and that's it. <laughs> I feel that. I totally understand that that metaphor. <laughs> because it's relatable and that's what I'm about is making anything that I share in my teaching or uh, in my public speaking relatable and understandable yeah. by all people because that's right. something that people don't really bring enough emphasis to. They don't make it inclusive or safe or supported or relatable and therefore mm-hmm. we're only alienating people from let alone a physical practice from a lifestyle that goes far beyond four corners of mass produce, you know, child labor, yeah. rubber mats, you know, there's way more to <laughs> yeah. our practice in this. And it's kind of appalling that people don't have the open mindedness to realize that regardless if they are genuinely interested or not, but not to even be open to hearing about it, you know? Mm. Um, so that I think I, I wanted just to bring up like you you mentioned something about like the naming of classes both of you did you and Nat did and I really really like that actually of maybe it's time to do away with Sanskrit names do away with the word vinyasa do away with the word hatha and instead have it be like this is hero's class and in hero's class he gets to name it how he wants to name it depending on what he wants to teach um, does it make sense like wouldn't that such be like be such a cool way of having a studio i think um i saw well like because i'm well actually at this time when we release this podcast i think i will have moved to victoria knock on wood Yay! <laughs> i live in victoria now but i still don't know this um there's a couple there's like a studio or two that literally just says yoga on the schedule i'm like mm, oh my god mm. that's amazing i love that yes. yeah yeah yeah. I definitely agree with that, Sandy and Nat. I do agree with that. And I actually had the concept when I was younger, you know, when I, if I were to have a studio or if I was in charge of programming and development, that it would be just that, um, you yeah. know, and there is one studio in the city that where they actually just say, you know, unless titled otherwise, these classes are, they still say they're half the classes, but they don't give a description. They just have the name of the teacher beside them. So that right. freedom to teach how you wish but yeah you know, yeah i think having names is relevant but i don't agree with the way that they've been associated or how they've been um how they've been familiarized by people because they haven't had the right ability to actually understand how they know what it is and no offense to the students out there unless if they're well educated or if they are actual teachers and who are they to say to us what something is and who are we actually to say to them what something is as long as they're safe and supported and they have a general understanding of what to expect and what 
happens in our classes, as you pointed out, then I would think it's it's brilliant to have a class that we can say that's our class. We can say what's in it. We can put in parentheses if it's like more therapeutic and gentle or if it's more dynamic and active, but that doesn't put any inkling on um, what the lineage comes from. Exactly, exactly. In that way that works for us. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I love that. I, I, and I, you know what? Like, even hearing students in the studio talk about classes, they will say like, "Oh, that's Jovian's class. That's Sandy's class." You know, and they, they sort of, there's like a sense already in the community about what what you're about as a teacher. Yeah. So, I mean, it's already out there. Like, just do away with the friggin', you know, power vinyasa flow level two. No, that's just her class. Yeah, and yes. what I, what yeah. I hate so much, I really do hate it, and I don't care because I don't. You know, yeah, some people might get offended by this, and I get it because I was in it for so long. I know I've chosen to not rely on studios to provide me 40, 45, 50 bucks a class and then expect, you know, everything from you. And then for people to spit in your face and say, that wasn't what that class was, or that wasn't challenging, or that was too gentle. I've even had people say in a gentle half the class that that was too gentle. I'm like, wow. And I've been in many environments and I'm tired of the, the illusion and the facade that people have of what they're, they think they're getting, but then they have the right because they're paying 1500 bucks a year or something or a thousand a year or even $800 a, for whatever. It doesn't matter what the format is. But my point is, is that when we live in a product based society, yoga is not a product. Yoga is a lifestyle, a lineage, a, a way of being. And the fact that commoditized as being a product of international culture has bastardized a state. And I could say this, that I may be even doing it as a white man, and maybe there is cultural appropriation in that. So forgive me for those listening, if that's how you might interpret what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that let's get real about what we're trying to do. And whatever it is that we're doing, that's great as long as we're authentic to it. But don't dress it up mm. as something that it's not. And don't sell it as a physical beauty ad. Because if that's what you're trying to do, you're only going to be so, so, so happy until you realize that something's missing. And that's when you're going to turn into, in some ways, maybe the therapeutic end, in my opinion, because that removes all of the expectations and the sheaths that we put on ourselves to think that we are a yogi or that we practice yoga or that we are a, a teacher or a student, you know, like drop all the shit. Mm, wow. This podcast just got so juicy. <laughs> I oh, like I'm it. Started. I know it could go on forever. I, I did want to touch back to one thing that you said, Hero, um, just to discuss a little bit more about the warm yin from my personal experience. Um, and not to disagree with you, I actually like agree completely with you about the way it's marketed and definitely hot yin. Like I really don't agree with that from the perspective of the nervous system and um, what you're doing with the tissues there. Like studios are definitely trying to get more people in the doors and maybe that's good for like a subset of bodies. Like I could see it being beneficial maybe for like extreme athletes or something like very, very, very tight people, not even hot, but warm, but, um, warm, like there's a big difference if you're going to a room that's like 40 degrees Celsius versus like 32 for me, like I could sit in a room that temperature like all day, (laughs) all day, every day and be Mm. so like relaxed because I'm, I'm running cold like all the time all the time. Mm. I actually go into like infrared saunas for 30 minutes and my arms still aren't sweating. 
Mm. Like Eric, my husband, he thinks I'm like an alien. He's just like, what is I like? I go into, <laughs> I go in like my, my torso will sweat, um, after like 10 minutes. And then I'm like looking at my arms and I have to tell them all the time to like turn it up. I turn up just like a little bit, <laughs> like a, just a little bit more. I'm like, I'm not even like my face is like, there's not a drop of sweat. <laughs> so, but like that's me and that's my body. So, um, we have to kind of like generalize when we're talking about this stuff, like in general, yeah, like you're not wanting to practice in a warmer room from the perspective of what's going on with your tissues and your nervous system. But I would question the nervous system a little bit. Um, we'll just like, I guess for people just to be aware as, as we like them to be of what your true experience is in that class. Like, are you, do you actually feel relaxed and what does that feel like in your body? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. If you're going into a hot class and like, yeah, you feel like you're suffering, like you want to walk out that door, you've your, your heart is beating more. Um, you just don't feel like you're resting whatsoever. Then that is not supporting you. Um, whereas I, and I'll like teach, well, like you're familiar as well because you would teach the power classes at Y Yoga, which are 32 degrees. And I'm not doing a lot of it. I'm mostly walking around teaching. I'll like I'll teach on my mat for maybe a couple poses here and there. But in that room, like again, I'll teach the whole hour long class, and 32 to 34 degrees, and like not sweat a drop. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think Tom Meyer says something really interesting about that. He's he says it's it's up to lineage the lineage of your um, heritage. So um, there's a subset of people that are temple dancers that have that like uh, the ligament structure and looseness of connective tissue that just comes from being from a really warm place um, and and not having to well like not having to conserve heat but rather looking for ways of dispersing it um or uh i forget what he said like a viking i think is his other um comparison where um i guess like the vikings needed to have really close dense connective tissue even the loosest connective tissue had to be dense in in a way to conserve heat and to hold everything very close to the midline to to conserve that energy so i think it comes down to yeah like individual heritage um just how you're built right and that like yeah that's that's one thing i'm definitely trying to do in my practice which is really hard my practice of teaching that is um is to teach people and to give the space for people to come out of a pose as well as um to choose what like journey they want to take so very often i'll say here's one option here's another option um maybe try them both and then see which one you want to linger in a little bit longer um and that's that's hard you know that's really it's a really difficult thing to teach um and to language like what feels better what feels i i don't know it's, yes it's, it's I, a struggle I like, yeah we could maybe we should talk about that further in another podcast but yeah like giving giving variation but there's an intention behind it, not just because like you can do this yeah. one or you can do this one. It's like, well, why would yeah, I do yeah. the different ones? I'm going to do the one that looks harder because like I'm in yoga and <laughs> that's what happened. You're doing what people are doing beside you instead yeah. of like, this is why you might go down this avenue. This yeah. avenue is completely different and it has, these are the intentions yeah. behind it. Yeah. There's so much languaging to to give those options, but it's so worth it. You know, mm -hmm. it's anyway, it's yeah, we could do a whole podcast on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. And in the context of restorative and yin, when you're talking about language, those are very key differences as well. 
um, because they're they're similar, you know, more passive language, more soft language. And being, you know, I mean, I would hope you would be nurturing, period. But in those practices, you need to be nurturing and and supportive of people because your voice tone, your energy, your intuition, your eye contact, your nonverbal language, your music, your atmosphere, all those things are maximized because people are now being with themselves. And so what they have left is their external and internal stimulation cranked up, right? So when you bring them mm-hmm. out of a posture, not only do you take the time for them to go through these experiences, but as you mentioned, if I have someone like in a child's pose, then I'll give them the ability to come out of child's pose and take longer if they need. They can come prone and rest on their belly. Maybe they want to move through cat-cow or through a brief down dog or come to seated and then send their legs out in front of them and give them a tap. You know, there's four or five different things within a second of talking to a student and then therefore they can create the experience they wish to have. And it's mm-hmm. really within their empowerment and keeping them safe and to feel like they have the choice to figure out their own experience. But even, even in just the way, like you explained that quickly, and I've been to a couple of your classes, people have this idea that restorative and yin and gentle Hatha and therapeutics, like has to be like that wishy-washy language. We're like, "Mm, do this if you want to maybe. And then like, or like, there's (laughs) like, you can still be very direct. I think that's important to speak directly to what you're teaching it's not these are not just random options you're not like oh i just thought of this thing that we could do and like oh there's 17 other examples of things we could do like no like these are the options i've chosen for you and like you can still speak very directly without kind of being like very kind of fleeting or i don't know totally yeah yeah you can totally just be like oh if your ankles are hurting after that long child's pose get off them and roll your feet around yeah, yeah. if your spine is feeling like cranky after that child's was then do some cat cow you know like you can i guess you can do it in that like you can multiple choicey kind of way yeah but you can still <laughs> speak directly to it i think there's like this idea yeah, that yeah. you have to be like so gentle that you're um not not like i've seen in some groups on facebook like they feel like they're being too confrontational if they speak directly to the body it's like that's like a whole different thing but (laughs) it's it's important to be able to and i think because i am multi-educated in different lineages and i did that purposely is to understand all the different realms of communication from yoga but also from other forms of just speaking to the human and themselves both body and mind and heart you know so i you know i might say you know take your time take a few breaths, allow the body and the mind to settle. When you're ready, find your way out of the pose. And then from there, you can do these different ways of exploration. And also because I, when I teach, I teach from a trauma-sensitive background, even if I'm not in a trauma-sensitive environment. So even if some people might mm-hmm. view it as being that way, that's something that some people might connect with and others may not, which is beautiful because there's always a different teacher for different people. Um some people like you said, might do it in a wishy-washy way because they're like, oh, you know, you can do this. And then they have the whole yoga teacher voice and they're completely inauthentic and you don't have any connection to who they are. And that's fine if that's what they want to hide behind if you're being in the lens of a yoga teacher. That's just not okay in my opinion. But what I will say is that when it comes to teaching, I know, subtle shade, right? It should be on RuPaul's Drag Race season 20. But um, <laughs> what, but anyways, when it, when it comes to... um language 
it's also if you understand why you're saying something, then your confidence in what you're saying won't come off in that way as well. But if you don't have the tone or the skill set of why you're saying something, then don't say what you don't know. That's the yeah. thing we learn. Love it. Teach what you know and teach what works from your voice, from your passion, and from your yes. Voice. And That's people like the- expectation Sorry. that's really false. Yeah, that's like exactly like why we're doing this podcast is we're yeah (laughs) constantly discussing like from the from the anatomy geek side to like stuff like this like from a cue to the intention behind your your voice or your cueing like why are you saying what you're saying and it's not like anything is really bad for everybody there's a cue that for everybody in experience there's a cue that works for someone somewhere right but it's but it's like really difficult as being a yoga teacher cueing for gen for a for a group class like it is very hard so like knowing why you're saying what you're saying from the anatomy to um the nervous system and to yeah. the trauma sensitive part to like ev- everything like just yeah to for teachers to be able even, to check in there yeah even just cueing to one person like one word has so many different shades of meaning right like even just talking to one person i had a private yesterday and it's like Sometimes it's hard for me to get across um, my point and, and like I have to change. I have to like thesaurus in my brain, open it up and try to pick different colors of the, the, the meaning to, to get it across. But anyway, it's, uh, yeah, that's our, that's our job. Okay. Before I, sorry, just I wanted to quickly ask Hero. Um, I've actually been asked a lot by other yoga teachers and other people in my community um, about trauma sensitive yoga and trauma sensitive yoga trainings. Mm-hmm. Are there any you recommend or any you like, hold up there as like the the golden sort of standard of them that's really great to ask i haven't done a whole ton of research as far as the exp- the exploration of uh nicole marcia's training and she does workshops and education in vancouver and she's legitimately the real deal like you know she's the, she's you know she just she doesn't mess around she really makes sure that you're aware of what's going on so i definitely want to give a shout out to nicole marcia at find balance yoga you can find her online and for education vancouver now for places abroad i haven't done much education in that so i don't know the only other person mm-hmm. that i know is quote unquote a yoga liberty as far as how they've been profiled is halakuri um, A-K-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I, Halakuri. Um, yeah, and we'll link all of these guys up in our show notes. So yeah, I'll dig them up. Yeah, and I think she's located in Santa Barbara or somewhere in that realm in California. Um, and she's known for, uh, I don't remember what it is. I think it's like yoga on the street or yoga to the street or something. And so that gives um, education. And I think it's um, Yoga Off the Mat, I think. It's also another organization, if I recall correctly. Okay. Um, you can add mm-hmm. that or not to the podcast once you make sure the information is correct. But um, I think right. I think that's what it's called. And whether she's still doing it or not, I know that that's something that I looked at as well. And when I was younger, about maybe seeking her out for um for education and trauma sensitivity. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, it's I know one. I know one. When you're done. <laughs> oh, Maggie Ray is another one. Who's who are you thinking about? Um, well, there's a book that I read, and this is amazing. If you guys haven't read this book, The Body Keeps the Score um, by Bessel van der Kolk. Okay. We'll that. This name. is phenomenal. Like he, he, I think, I'm wondering if Danielle, 
Ogenville? We did an interview with her. Uh, no, a, a girl that we had on our episode three, our first interview. I think she might have done some trauma-informed uh, training with him. I'm not sure. I might have that wrong. But anyways, this guy, and I don't know if he teaches it directly, but he started to use um, yoga for people with PTSD. And and just read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. It's like 15 bucks or something, or you can get it at the library. It's a really good book. Like you would love reading mm. that. And you probably know a lot of it, but it's really, really good for what you're teaching. Okay. Um, like I would recommend that book to anybody. And then, yeah, through him, like I'll, I'll look up and see if it's him that does the training or I know he paired up with someone else who's like, because he's not a yoga teacher. Um, and they created uh, a program. And, and I'm quite sure that Nicole Marcia did her training with him because I remember Nicole Marcia doing like a, a weekend with my 300 hour yeah, um, yeah. here in Vancouver. Yeah. And I, and I was like, this is really similar. Have you heard of this thing? And she's like, yeah, that's where I went and did it. I'm, I'm quite oh, cool. sure. I'm like 97% sure. But I yeah. will um, clear, clarify those details in the show notes. But like, yeah, dude, get that book. It was such a fascinating mm-hmm. read. Oh, good. Okay. Ooh. Good yeah. to know. Yeah. Love so that. we'll link all of those up. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to leave our listeners with just for the last couple minutes here? Yeah. Well, I mean, for those that are listening to this, um, I really appreciate the ability to shed some light on restorative and yin and yoga in general. I, you know, I'm very outspoken and unconventional and can tend to irritate a lot of people that might not want their dirty laundry you know, shown to the public, but everything I'm sharing is honest. It's from a lived experience. It's from the heart. It's raw and it's sincere. And I'm not afraid or concerned if other people might be, um, not with any intention of, of, of offending anybody, but you know, it's one person's opinion. So if you, if it causes an issue or a rise in if whoever's listening to this, then I encourage you to look at yourself and to further examine why you're reacting to what I might be sharing and know that it's coming from a place of love and my own experience and through my own um, experiences. And who am I to say if I'm right or wrong? Because I'm, I'm neither. It's just my experience. And if it resonates with you, fantastic. And if it doesn't, I still love you anyways. So, you know, mm. Take it for what it's worth. And I think that in this community, in this industry, we need to wake the fuck up. And people are naturally trying to preserve. And because I've come to a place where I'm okay, regardless, it allows me to be open and candid about how I feel and what my experiences have been in certain realms. And that might not resonate for everybody, but I'd rather be that way than hide behind, you know, honesty and and transparency, you know? And I think if there's one thing that I can leave in this yoga business or this yoga community that we are creating and cultivating is a transparency and an ability to speak up, to be real, to embrace your true identity, and to honestly be true to who you are and to know that as long as you're not trying to cause harm or hate in anybody, even if it might, again, trigger people, then it means you're doing your work in a way that is going to have an impact and that will cause change for people to further discover what means something to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think it's really important, like just on this topic, um, when we do meet people in the yoga world who are like extremely dogmatic about their opinions and you do try and have conversation with them, it usually comes to a dead end pretty quickly because there isn't, um, I mean, it's just, it's just how 
trainings have been done, like there's not a lot of why behind um, what we're learning, especially just from if you're coming out of a 200 hours. So to be able to be open and listen to these conversations and really the practice of just saying like, I'm ignorant to what restorative has to offer me and what yin has to offer me. Like, I don't know, here's this resource and just to open yourself to be like, yeah, I don't know. And then like, Oh, hero like has some really good points. Like that's trying to kind of, what we're trying to cultivate here is this, mm-hmm. this community where you can feel safe to ask questions and, and to have discussions. Like you bring up a point and then I'm not sure. And then Sandy's like, Oh yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do some research or whatever. And just yeah. for everything to be like on the table. And for all of us really just to grow and and offer our students the best that we can and I think Hiro put it really well that like you can you can disagree and still love each other you can disagree and still agree with other parts and you know like it doesn't have to be just because you disagree with one opinion doesn't mean that you know that person's cut out of your life and and oh no so extreme like (laughs) no 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 yeah yeah I've learned so much just from well, like I think my whole life I've always just kind of sat back and like when something was strange or like I was like oh I don't know if I agree about that like my work was always just to instead of tell them off like I would just go research I'm just like what yeah, does this yeah. mean or like oh and then sometimes I'm like oh yeah they're that I was totally wrong yeah and it feels so uh-huh. good to just be able to like remain open and then yeah like cultivate relationship that way in community totally mm-hmm. I really Amazing. appreciate that yeah. So it's been really great conversation. Um, if you guys have any questions for Hero, we're going to link up his website and his Instagram um, and maybe your Facebook. Yeah. Absolutely. Do, you to, do you want me to link to your Facebook group? You have a Facebook group for, I think we can probably do that, right? Technology. I think so. Um, for those that are listening to this podcast and are in Vancouver or might be in Vancouver times of the year, I do have my own kind of secret um, page for my restorative training and education, and and, and is part of that um, secret page. Secret, so covert operative Facebook knows what the hell is going on, but the others might not. So uh, thank you, Zuckerberg. But um, yeah, if you want to learn more about that? It's on my website, um, which will be in the notes, as uh, Nat and Sandy have said. But, um, yeah, my Facebook is, you know, like I don't have like a professional Facebook. It's more my Instagram and website. But if you want to add me as a friend on Facebook or if you want to connect, uh, feel free to shoot me a message. It's just facebook.com forward slash hero prince. Um, and then my Instagram is at hero prince. And then my website is, uh, true identity project.com. And then they all link together. So it's pretty easy to connect and to create opportunities. Yeah. And if you're not going through our show notes and you're just looking on Instagram, Hero is with two eyes. He H I I R O. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like looking and I'm like, where is that? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's two eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep it unpredictable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you haven't, um, mom, I'm talking to you. You really need to get on iTunes and give us. <laughs> A five star review. Like you just I don't know. You just have to go do it. Yeah. I, I'll have to I'll have to like FaceTime mom and I just I'm pretty sure. Come on, Nat's mom. On, mom. Jeez. Just get on there. Anyone else? <laughs> just go click the five stars. Maybe you can write some nice words. Um and we'd really appreciate that. And then sign up for our monthly newsletter. 
we just recap all the things, all the videos and the podcasts that we've done for the month. And then if we have anything going on, like any freebies, I think we're going to be getting into like giving our newsletter people some freebies soon. So we will Sweet. Yeah, we'll give those to anyone who signed up. We're not annoying. We don't market like crazy because we're way too lazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and um, yeah, Sandy, anything else? No, I'm all good. Thanks, Hero. Thanks so much, guys. Have a lovely day and thanks so much. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye.